When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Are the markets in for a rough ride? Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Daily Briefing. With me today is Jared Dillian, editor of The Daily Dirt Nap. Hi, Jared. Hey, I don't know if I'm going to have any answers for you today. I'm like, gonna... not one. <laughs> this is hard. These markets are hard. They're really hard. But I think it's really important to have conversations when they're really hard because the markets have been pretty easy for the last, what, like, you know, a long time, maybe the entirety of some people's experience in them. So, you know, um, catching up with folks like you when markets are hard is good for, if we don't have answers, at least the right questions to think about, which sometimes yeah. is as important. So that's what we're going to try to do. And I'm actually excited to catch up with you today because, I don't know, like we, we talked, I don't even think it was two weeks ago. And it feels like things have changed. Maybe nothing's changed, but we've, you know, we were sort of in this groove at the beginning of the year. And now it's like, we, you know, we saw today, what an ugly start to the week. I mean, stocks were down between two and two and a half percent, Russell down the most, worst day for the year so far, but volumes were low, which is confusing a little people, uh, some people, I think. And we, we saw the 10-year treasury yield back up at 3.95%, the highest level since November. I don't know. What, what is your sense? What, what was interesting to you? I won't ask you what, what's going on, but what, what was interesting to you, if anything, from the market action today? What caught your eye? Well, I mean, this is all being driven by the bond market, 100%. Um, I, you know, that's, that's really the only way I can put it. Um, you know, pretend, you know, See, tens were down about a point today. If tens were up a point, it would have been a completely different day. Yeah. Um, so, and, and actually, this all started with the payroll number that we had yep. a couple weeks ago. This all it started did. with the payroll number. It started with 500 something thousand gains in payrolls, which a lot of people talked about. They said, well, maybe this is, you know, the seasonality calculations are screwed up. Maybe this is a fake number. But, you know, the market's operating under the assumption that it's a real number. And, you know, as a result of that payroll number, all the Fed's expectations have been recalibrated. So, I mean, the one thing I'll point out, I think, you know, there's it's worth having a little bit of perspective here because, you know, you're you're hearing people like Bullard and others talk about 50 basis points in March and, um, you know, rate hikes out to May and. You know, if you do that, then terminal Fed funds is going to be like close to 6%. And, you know, under the circumstances, like if I told you two or three months ago that terminal Fed funds were going to be 
like you would think the market would be trading at like 3300 so this actually has been a pretty painless process like like the if because if you remember we had rate cuts priced in at the end of the year we had rate yeah. cuts priced in like 50 basis points of rate cuts so those have been priced out now we have rate hikes priced in and like I said, it's been it's you know it, it's been kind of choppy, but this has been a pretty painless process of pricing out those rate cuts so far, right? I think that's what people are worried about, and you know when you see the action today. So are we, you know, are we now as we reprice and try to figure this out? And now there's uncertainty, right? Do they do uh, do they do something more aggressive in the shorter term, or do they? do what they've said they were going to do, hold it for longer. What kind of adjustments do you see in the bond market? What does that mean for stocks? I mean, you had uh, the Morgan Stanley analyst, Mike Wilson, out today saying, I think we're going to 3,000. Now, you, people can decide whether they agree with him or not, but that's that's the converse. That You get a sense we're going to move in that direction now as people try to game this out. It's tricky. Yeah, I mean, 3,000 is kind of a nonsense call. That's red meat to his followers for sure. Um, you know, my my position all along has been that you, if 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 you hike interest rates 500 basis points, there's going to be economic effects. They're going to take a long time to work through the system. Like it's it's not going to happen in three months. It's not going to happen in six months. Maybe it'll happen in 12 months. Some of it will take longer than that. Like we're gonna we're gonna see the effects of those trickle into the economy over time. And you know, like I said, my position all along was been that the economy would weaken. I think really we just haven't given this experiment enough time to play out, you know, because we don't we don't really have. I mean, look, if you're I'm 49, I'll be, actually I'll be 49 in like two weeks. Right. So like I've been in the markets since I was 25. OK, I started working in the market. So I've been in the markets for 24 years. I've never seen 500 basis points of rate hikes. We don't know what this does. Like nobody who's working in the markets today knows what happens if you hike. What, by the way, while you're doing QT, while you're running off the balance sheet, like, you know, the, the funny thing, I was thinking about this the other day, like all these right wing people that say, oh, the Fed's printing money, the Fed's printing money. Guess what? The Fed is now destroying money. The Fed is not printing money anymore. The Fed is destroying money. The money supply actually shrank last year. So this takes this takes a long time to play out. And I do think that the economy is going to weaken. I think it's going to show up in the data. And at some look, if you told me with a gun to my head, do I buy or sell 10-year notes? I would say you buy. Now, I don't think today is the right time. I think I think they probably sell off more. I think rates probably go up, go higher. But with a gun to my head, I would say you buy bonds on this. Wow, that's super interesting. I have questions about that. I just want to bring up a touch on something else first, though, uh, and that is this lag. You know, it's it's it is it's true. We kind of thought, but they've been hiking for a year. People thought we would start to see it already. I think that is what has people unnerved. And while you did see some of it in some of those in the manufacturing part of the economy, you didn't really see it spread out as much to the other parts of the economy. But we're not only are we coming off of the grand experiment of QE, and then we had COVID, 
And then we reopened from, you know, there's so many things that are kind of hard to model. I think we had Home Depot, by the way, one of the biggest losers today. That is weighing on some of the action. Both Home Depot and Walmart came out. Their earnings weren't the issue. It was the guidance. And they were both talking about consumer weakness ahead um, and that people are getting really price sensitive. I was out shopping for a car this weekend. Um, it was painful. Why, I mean, we're kind why? Of, what was it like? It was hard. The, the cost, I mean, for what you're getting, that change in interest rates you're really seeing it. You know, the financing is seven, you know, ballpark. I mean, we were trying to get in and out without actually having to sit down and talk to them. So we were just getting the kind of ballpark range. Uh, but we need we, we we need another car, so we don't really have a choice on timing. And it was so different from the last time we were out. And, you know, Peter Bookfart was on with us last week talking about this. You've got this delay in repricing. So we've been sitting with these reasonable rates on stuff that we've had. Now we've you know, got to get another car. And we're like, oh my God, this is, this is so much more expensive than it would have been. And that realization takes a while to set in. You're going to have some kind of effect of that. And I think that's what Home Depot and Walmart were talking about that. But timing it is really hard. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't see that with, by the way, the Home Depot chart is an ugly, ugly chart. Um, Frank Capillary, who you might know, he posted a chart at Home Depot yesterday or today. And it's it's an ugly top, um, which is interesting because, you know, I mean, a lot of times, look, I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to corporate earnings, but these people that do, you know, when they go through earnings calls and earnings reports and they do like these word clouds of the type of things that, you, that it get mentioned in earnings reports, like if you're seeing early signs of consumer weakness out of Home Depot, then that's going to show up in economic data three to six months from now, for sure. Mm -hmm. So I think that's super interesting. And the timing thing is about if the Fed, if the if it's not showing up, it raises the risk that the Fed does more, uh, and then adds to the pressure that will eventually come through. So then it then it starts to t dictate what kind of recession you get. You mentioned buying bonds. First of all, if you have a question or comment. You know what to do. Put them in the chat or tweet us at Real Vision. And we have a couple already coming through. Uh, Dan saying, isn't it simple? With inflation at six per plus 6%, there needs to be an interest rate at least in that range. Negative real interest rates in a volatile scenario is not sustainable, question mark. Well, I mean, we've had, <clears throat> we've had negative real interest rates for coming on 20 years. Uh, and they, they are going to end up positive for sure. Like inflation is going to continue to come down. My guess is inflation comes down to 4% and we're going to have the, you know, the risk-free rate is going to be around 6%. We'll have 2% real interest rates, which is by the way, where they should be, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons. So I think, I think that is going to happen over time. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So I had the opportunity to sit down with Nancy Davis from Quadratic last week, right after the CPI number was released. 
And she's been very worried about what she views as complacency in the market. Uh, Let's have a listen to that clip and then we'll talk on the other side. Yeah, I mean, I feel like everybody is like so focused over here about rate hikes, rate hikes, rate hikes. What's the Fed going to do when they're going to pivot? But they're kind of ignoring the elephant in the room, which is this $8 trillion balance sheet. And the Fed really also is ignoring it because they're not really talking about quantitative tightening. They're not really talking about whether they're going to increase their caps. They're not talking about prepayments being way down in the mortgage market. And are they going to you know, are they going to start selling mortgages? Are they going to increase the caps on treasuries? Like, what are they going to do? So that's kind of, I feel like the, uh, the, the monster out there that people really need to, to be aware of. And I do think, um, the steepening could happen more from a QT aspect. That full interview is available on our website. Scan the QR code to sign up and listen to it. I highly, highly recommend it. It was a fantastic conversation with Nancy. Her understanding and knowledge of credit and derivatives markets is amazing. And she was really generous with it. And I I really appreciate that. It was really, really eye-opening. So Jared, I know that I had emailed you when I realized I was going to talk to Nancy because I remember seeing you had Ival the IVAL ETF in your paper portfolio at one point. I don't know if it's still there, but how are you thinking about the yield curve? No, it's actually, it's it's in the legacy portfolio. It's a in position. I own it. Okay. I currently oh, okay. own it. And I've had that, I've had IVAL for a couple of years now, um, you know, to, you know, back then in 2020 or 21 to play the steepening interest rate. And I ended up ho- holding it too long and, you know, the curve flattened and, you know, I still hold it. So I'm waiting. Basically, I'm waiting for the next cycle to take advantage of it. You know, that chart that Nancy provided about the Fed's balance sheet, you know, Powell was recently quoted in saying that he could run off the balance sheet in three years, and which is completely nonsensical. Like, it's not it's not going to happen in three years. Um, it's, you know, quantitative. T- yeah, there's a chart. Quantitative yeah, this is, and this, I think she said it in there, but this chart is like, oh, we think the Fed ran up its balance sheet during Q, QE, right? Quantitative easing, which is the green line. And then that's what happened to it during the extraordinary measures taken, over, taken during the COVID period. So th- this is sort of what, what we've got to unwind from. And, you know, her sense or her concern is that it it's hard for that to happen in a super orderly manner, which is kind of what has been priced in right now. Yeah. And she talked a little bit about uh, prepayments and mortgages, you know, slowing down and stuff like that. Like, you know, the Fed, people don't talk about this, but the Fed owns a bunch of mortgages on its balance sheet, right? So if you have a housing market that is kind of croaking as it is right now, and you have these mortgages on the balance sheet, like you're like, is the Fed going to start selling mortgages and drive spreads out even more? and make it more expensive to buy a house at this particular moment in time like it's just not realistic. Yeah, and the and so when I was when I was talking to her this is something and so first of all, we're talking a lot about the rate policies. Everyone's repricing the Fed. Are they going to do 50? Are they going to do 3 until June? Are they going to not pause? Someone in the chat said, "Does this mean the pivot is is not happening?" Hardly anyone talks about what's happening on the key, on the quantitative tightening side on running down the balance sheet. Do you think they would look to try to do more there? Um, 
I think that the Fed would pivot in terms of rates before they stopped Q, QT, okay? Um, I think the Fed is concerned about the size of the balance sheet, and I think they do want to con continue running that off. And I think it's possible for them to pause rate hikes while continuing to run down the balance sheet. I think, in fact, I think that's what will happen. And by the way, you know, it just... This could be one of these things. Maybe we replay this like a year from now. But I think some point this year, you're going to have an opportunity to buy the front end of the yield curve. I think you're going to have an opportunity to buy two-year notes. Like that pivot will happen at some point. You know, people thought it was going to happen a couple of months ago and it didn't, but it absolutely will happen at some point. And I think it'll happen towards the end of 2023. So you're still thinking there'll be a pivot. So so one of the so what does that mean for does that mean they've done the job with inflation or that they abandoned the fight on inflation? Because one of the things that I was reminded of, and this was very much a conversation we were having in the fall, and then you know, it kind of quieted down. But when after I was reflecting on my conversation with Nancy, it's that same tension or question: can the Fed bring down inflation and maintain financial stability, financial market stability? I'm not talking about taking the air out of it. I'm talking about not breaking something. Can they do both of those things at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. They have done that. They, I mean, they've, it's it's actually it's been successful so, so far. <laughs> so far, yeah. Um, I, I guess I th the real question is, and this is more of a psychological question for the Fed, mm -hmm. but at what level of CPI do you think the Fed says, okay, we've done enough for now, right? Like, in I think that number is four to four and a half percent. Wow. I think if CPI gets to four to four and a half percent that provides enough justification for them to at least pause, right? So the last reading was 6.4. Uh, I don't know how the hell long it's going to take to get to four and a half, but you know, maybe six months. But I think that's the level at which they say, okay, we've done enough for now. So Because they're, the they're concerned about what would happen if they continue to, or they want to see the time, the, the lag of what they've done so far, yeah. the effects of what they've done so far. If they do that, though, do they lose their credibility? Do people just say, oh, the Fed pivots here and, you know, off to the races? How does that work? Well, you know, the Fed still has a 2% inflation target. And, you know, they've talked about, or I don't know if they've talked about, but there's been some discussion about them raising the inflation target, yeah. sort of in an acknowledgement that we're, it's going to be very difficult to get back to 2%. And the Fed has been steadfast, and they've said that we are we are not going to move the inflation target. It is two percent, but I do think that from a psychological standpoint, the Fed isn't going to continue to hike interest rates until rates get to two percent, because that would be nonsensical. You would have Fed funds at twelve percent, right? So I don't. I just it's not realistic that they're going to do that. It's funny. Um, I I love the 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 info we get from our viewers sometimes it's so specific and randy i saw this a moment ago when we we're talking about home depot randy says check small apple trees in five gallon pots at home depot 27 dollars last year 37 dollars this year so it's no wonder that they're they're consumers and shoppers are price sensitive. <laughs> That's hilarious, Randy. We'll, you'll tell us what you're doing with those apple trees um, one day. But I, I do think everyone is feeling it. Um, we, we have a lot of questions. We always 
talk about the Fed because it's sort of front and center right now, but we do have some questions coming in on some other on some other topics. What about you mentioned you would be if you if you had to. You don't necessarily love the timing, but you would think about being a buyer of bonds. What about metals? What's going on in the metal market? We have somebody asking about silver. Uh, this is it asking about silver. And and so many people were so bullish gold in the beginning of the year. It was one of the calls that came up over and over again. You were as well. We're tracking the the bets, the progress, or the recommendations rather on our three ideas series. We're we're charting them all, the progress. And even though it's it's gone down, gold is still one of the if you got in it early last year, the beginning of the year, it's still one of the performers that are helping the the holdings of some of the guests who came on and recommended it. What are you seeing in the metal space, Jared? Uh, not a lot for now. I mean, gold kind of peaked right right about roughly about the same time that rates bottomed. Uh, and so it's been kind of an inverse race trade. Um, you know, what I've been writing in my newsletter is that I think gold got to like 1945 or something like that. You know, the the move from 1600 to 1945 barely had a pullback. I mean, it was a straight line at like, I've actually like, it's, it's pretty rare you see something like that in the world of charts where you have something that just goes straight up for three months and doesn't have a pullback. So it was bound to have a pullback. Uh, I've been saying you want to buy gold again at 1800. So, you know, we're at about like 1830, 1835, something like that. Uh, I think it's finding some footing here. So, yeah, I think now's, you know, unless you want to get really specific about it, I think now's a good a time as any. Mm. Tim is asking, ignoring the Fed discussion or just looking beyond that for a moment, it's hard to ignore Tim, but um, but we're going to try. What's important near term and what happens this week in the market? It will determine flows in March. Are you tracking anything else, Jared, or watching anything else outside this back and forth on the Fed? Uh, honestly, not really. That's kind of driving everything right now. You know, it's really, it's really the bond market. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff, uh, it's, it's been, a, it's been kind of a tricky year in stocks. Um, because at the end of last year, value worked and industrials worked. And then about a month ago that stopped working and then growth started to work. Mm -hmm. And then that that's not working now. So like in terms of like factors and, you know, growth and value and stuff like that, it's been, it's been a little bit of a mess, you know, so it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And, and we've heard that by the way, from so many people. I mean, there are an awful lot of cross currents. One, one question from Jeremy is uh, how will the labor market weaken when there are so many people retiring that needs replacing I mean, the labor market, this is what what sort of sparked, as you mentioned at the top, which sparked the whole repricing the Fed. That was the beginning, that shot across the bow. Now, even if that was an anomaly, that one number, and we see it weaken, there is this sense that the labor market's so tight. And if that's the case, it's going to be hard to slow down this U.S. economy. Here, the way I look at the labor market, I mean, it's it's really simple. So if you go back to 2020 during the pandemic, the U.S. government went into debt three trillion dollars, basically borrowed three trillion dollars from the capital markets, and then handed it out to everybody in the United States. Right. So PPP loans and stimulus checks and child tax care credits, and I mean, we literally just handed out with like this. This this experiment has never been done before in finance. You just take three trillion dollars and you hand it out. 
Well, what happened was it caused a huge increase in aggregate demand, which caused inflation, but it also sped up the economy and increased the demand for labor. So the way I look at this is that the labor shortages that we're continuing to experience in 2023 are still the after effects of what we did from fiscal policy in 2020. I think I think we're still dealing with the after effects of that. And I don't know if the Fed knows this. If the Fed is making decisions based on the supposed strength of the labor market, like they're not taking into account the distortions that were caused by that fiscal policy. So, you know, everybody says the labor market is strong, but in an alternate universe where the pandemic doesn't happen and you don't do that stimulus, I think unemployment is like six or 7% right now. Wow. I mean, there is, I mean, it is really worth reminding ourselves that this is a gigantic experiment that really central banks around the world are trying to grapple with as we pave a way forward. So understandable that this is a really tricky environment right now. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Question about the dollar. Uh, we talk, we're talking a lot about bonds. DXY, you, I know you were writing about this. Um, you know, another one of these charts we saw, we saw the dollar start to weaken. Everybody thought that was it. Then it kind of found legs again. What do you, what are you watching there on the chart? Uh, so I've been, you know, every, everybody's looking at the same chart, uh, dollar bounce kind of where it should have on support. Um, you know, the top in the dollar from four or five, six months ago was a major sentiment top in the dollar. Right. Like I, I probably talked about this on some daily briefing like last year or the year before, but the whole dollar bullish phenomenon was, you know, I actually wrote about it in Bloomberg. I said it was a little bit of a cult. I said, I mean, you have you have these people on Twitter that are like super bullish on the dollar. And it was kind of like this. It's like this doomsday trade. And, you know, the dollar was going to keep going up. And so anyway, so we had this sentiment peak in the dollar. But that I, I think that was like almost a generational sentiment peak, you know, I mean, that was that. So I don't think the dollar is going to get back up to the highs that it reached last year. You know, that was, that was an extraordinary year. We were, you feel, I know, looking at international markets as well, Jared, just to sort of broaden this out, because we, we can seem like we're running circles around the Fed, because as you said, the bond market is moving and the bond market impact so much. Um, but on that, you know, on that discussion of the dollar, we saw the UK market doing well uh, earlier. We talked about that a little bit last time. Some people like Europe, they say it was just been left for dead for so long. There's, it, what? How are you thinking about the international landscape, given the fact that we have so many uncertainties? Well, I think I think Europe reached a generational buy point last year. It just got so cheap. It got unbelievably cheap. And what I was saying on here was, you know, Europe in 2022 was like U.S. stocks in 1982. 
know, you had, you know, single digit PEs and huge dividend yields. They just got incredibly cheap. So I think Europe is going to outperform for well into the future. You're talking about international opportunities. One of the things that I've been focusing on in my newsletter is Argentina. And I don't know if you've looked at any charts of stuff in Argentina lately, but it's starting to perk up. There's an election in October and there's some really, really interesting things happening. You know, so the Peronists have basically dominated politics for the last 50 years. Uh, Alberto Fernandez is the current president and Cristina is the vice president. And she's not supporting Alberto Fernandez for re-election. The Peronists are polling at like 26%. The guy who's in the lead is this guy. I don't know. I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but it's Malay or Malai, M-I-L-E-I. This guy is like Ron Paul. Like, it's 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 nuts. Like if like if you ever said what what you needed to fix Argentina was this guy who was a capitalist, like you know, super free markets. Like he's as free markets as you can possibly get, and he's polling at thirty seven percent, and he's polling with young people. Like everybody under thirty is voting for this guy, and I think you know Argentina has a hundred percent inflation. The currency has been trashed. I think that they have had enough economic misery that they are willing to try something different. Now, I'm not saying that Malay is going to get elected. It could be Macri, but I, it's not going to be the Peronists. And I think you're going to see a big change in Argentina come October. Now, there's a lot of time between now and then, and elections are unpredictable, but that's where it stands right now. It is interesting to be thinking about. I mean, this is what some some people had been saying is that, you know, they see we heard this at the turn of the year as well. They see a lot of opportunity outside of the U.S. Uh, for change. The dollar was the big obstacle to that. Um, and I asked about the U.K. because their services sector was better, uh, did better than expected today. And maybe it doesn't look as economically gloomy and doomy there. I mean, certainly there are a lot of risks. But uh, if you. Can can the international markets so perform if you start to see dislocation elsewhere, or do you think that they are going to trade on their own fundamentals? I think they'll trade on their own fundamentals, but I think a weak dollar is inevitably going to help, mm. you know, or at least maybe not a weak dollar, but a dollar that isn't going up twenty percent a year. You know, well, like I said, you know, what happened in two thousand twenty two is extraordinary. If you look at the chart of the dollar or the DXY in two thousand twenty two went from the lower left to the upper right. It was, it didn't stop. It, it appreciated 20% in a year. It's not going to happen again. It's not going to happen again. Which should be, which should give a lift to, uh, to some of to some of these other markets that are now potentially an alternative outside of the U S circling back around to the, uh, to the U S market. So we, so you're looking at bonds I'm, I'm not going to say you're bullish on bonds because I feel like that was like, if I had to choose what's going to happen, yeah. I'd buy the 10-year. But the timing, I think, is is an issue for you right now. Dollar top in sentiment, generational dollar top in sentiment, maybe a generational opportunity in emerging markets. Stock market, it sounds like, is tricky for you, uh, That w just with all of the cross currents. We had a question at the very beginning, is the, what was the question? Is the bear market, uh, is this bear market rally now, this latest bear market rally now over? Well, I think what we're experiencing is, I think a lot of people frame this in such a way, they say, like, is it a bull market or is it a bear market? And it's one or the other, but it can actually be both. It can actually yeah. be both, right? So it's a bull market 
from the standpoint that we rallied 20% off the lows. Like we're in a new bull market. It's a bear market from the context that we put in a generational top back in 2021, at the beginning of 2021, and we've had lower lows and higher lows ever since. So I think the answer to whether it's the bull market or bear market, I think the answer is it's actually kind of both, mm -hmm. which is what makes it so confusing. And like, I don't, I don't, like, I don't want to have a directional position in stocks right now. It's just a mess and I don't care. So. Yeah, that's, th that's a fantastic point. But we've kind of been conditioned to see it as one or the other, or been conditioned to see these big moves happen and not this sort of sideways, you know, action where it's going to be more driven by individual names. Um, we, we did the kind of wrap up and takeaway, but I've, I've got to squeak one in. Um, Ralph, who's always interested in international, as we know, is asking, how would you play your Argent Argentine idea or your thoughts on um, Argentina? Well, you know, that, that's that's the good stuff. Gotta, <laughs> that means you got to subscribe, Ralph. <laughs> but I gave you the idea, and you can do your own research. I mean, the nice thing about Argentina is that there's a lot of ADRs that trade in the U.S. There's a, there's a ton of ADRs. So, yeah, do your own research. There is a there's a lot going on on the international front, um, and we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit more on that. We've been talking about it internally, and there's a lot of really interesting things happening that you know we need to wrap our head around, especially for an environment where there are other alternatives. So we'll be we'll be taking a look at that. Let us know if there's certain areas that you're interested in, you want to hear more about, um, and we'll make sure to dial it up. Jared, for somebody who started saying I have no answers and nothing to say. Um, you, you you did well. <laughs> you gave us a lot to talk about. <laughs> I always know when you start like that, it's probably not true. Uh, but it is. But I but I think by saying that, it really does underscore the fact that if anyone's feeling confused, we all are. Even people who've been watching the market for a long time, and you know, there are definitely. That's why I love talking to Nancy. There are definitely some strange things going on, and it it kind of feels like some of this stuff is not sustainable for much longer and it's going to break out one way or the other and you just need to make sure that you're positioned and diversified for that which is one of her big points so hopefully we'll take that on board jared we'll see you soon thank you so much okay see you thank you and thanks to all of you uh same time tomorrow in the meantime take care and good luck out there what's up revolutionaries thanks for tuning in to the real vision daily briefing for more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.